I apologize in advance for I, I slipped up and said something and I forgot I'm reco being recorded here. So just here to delete, don't upload straight away from <laughs> Awesome. I don't know about age uh, because um, we heard about if you're, if you're a certain age then you must use the envelope because I know some younger people than me that still line up at the, at the bank to pay all the accounts. Um, they don't do EFT, so awesome. Um, it's all good to be here at Rebirth. Um, thanks so much to Pastor B and Pastor Zoe for having us. Um, it's really amazing when you see where the church is going. Um, and one of the words that I just felt the Lord is saying for the church when we were in worship is that almost like he planted a spring here. And, you know, it's amazing how, especially during the desert times, uh, I forget now what it's called, a water hole, I think it is, in the Sahara, was it the Savannah. And during, during the, the desert times or the, the, the drought times, it's amazing how all the animals, they come and cohabit there. Uh, the, the predators and the prey. And they're all drinking from the same place. And it's almost like God has planted a spring here. And it's amazing how you're going to see people coming from all different walks of life. May not have agreed outside of these walls, but because of what spring God has planted here, they are going to come and they're going to coexist and they, there's going to be a brotherhood and such a fellowship that's going to happen. It's almost like a place of reconciliation that God is planting in this place. So rebirth, reconciliation, I can't do any, re's, any other words with re. Uh, you can think about him in the dictionary. So, Lord, we're just praying for uh, the ministry today. We're praying that, Lord, you are gonna, you're going to cause this word to find a resting place in our hearts. And it's going to galvanize us to move forward passionately with you. Uh, that as you were chasing after us, that we in turn are going to chase after you with the same zeal in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, I forgot to thank the, the, the Elliot Foundation as well so thank you uh, to Bevan and Zoe but also the LA Foundation they got a whole team behind them <laughs> now normally when you're a guest speaker you can uh, almost thank the Lord because you can say whatever you want to say uh, because you're going to leave and then you're going to leave the pastor to deal with all the mess you know <laughs> so you there's no fear of being stoned <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> When I told the church about us coming here, they said we want to come with. So you got some of TLC here. So as I walk out here, I'll have to also clothe myself because I might also be, I'm in danger of being stoned as well. Um, I felt the Lord was asking us to share on passion brings the presence. Passion brings the presence. And we heard the song, and I was so glad to hear the song. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after you, after me. God is desperate to come after us. But it's almost like God is saying, are you as desperate as I am for you? Are you as desperate for me? We aren't supposed to be in a, a, a static relationship. We just enter and it's like God is the waiter and God is all around us and he's chasing after us and we are to be Chasing after him. We must not be like Goma. Goma, if you don't know who that is, she was Hosea's wife. 
If you don't know who that was, he was one of the minor prophets. And God said, go marry a prostitute. Goma. And when Hosea wakes up in the night, where's my wife? She's gone. She's disappeared. And then he has to go and find and buy her back from other relations. Her having relations with other guys. We are not to be like Goma. We are to be as passionate for God as God is passionate for us. When we hear the titles like God Chases, Tommy Tenney writes a book on God Chases, we almost can roll our eyes and snigger at that because it's almost like when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the presence of God is owed to us. Nothing else that we need to do to attract Him any further. We're in the relationship now. It's all over. It's much like courting. I'm sure some of us are, are a bit, our memories are a bit fresher like Grenville and them. And Sanisha, when you're courting, we put on our best cologne. We put on so much cologne that when we leave a room, long after we've left, the smell is still there. We put on our, we, we clean shaven, even our breath is organized. And if it's going to be a long day, we've got some spearmint in our pockets. Ladies, we put on our makeup. All the right places are touched up. Our hair is in order and now life has made it so easy. Because sometimes our hair can even be next to us. <laughs> so you can do your hair in advance. And just put it on. We look our best. Both of us look our best. Put our best outfits on for the other person. Once we get married, sometimes the husband comes home and he, he's waiting to, you know, to see his beautiful bride and the door opens. And there's the bride with her helmet on. She's got a stocking on or a kosa. <laughs> Here's no longer brush. This was in our, our area. I don't know if you know this word. She's got a nightie on. <laughs> Nightgown. The nightie that looks like it's been passed on from generation to generation. <laughs> All turned and tattered. Husband. No longer looking after himself. No longer clean shaven. Wearing that mechanic sweater that's got oil greases all over the place. No more dresses up to take his wife out. No more dates his wife. You see, in our minds, when we get married, sometimes the chase is over. I'm married now. I don't have to go out of my way to impress anybody. The focus now becomes on every other thing that I need to give my time to and more than often, we find that if you continue down this vein, there's a lack of interest and we start drifting apart. We no longer, there's no longer um, uh, a spark in the relationship. When people start saying, I no longer, I fell out of love. When we come to our relationship with God, likewise, we need to be chasing after Him. We need to love Him. We need to keep our love for Him fresh like the first time that we started serving Him. And if we don't chase after Him like this slowly, we lose the reason for serving Him. Life becomes boring as a Christian. We lose interest. And all of a sudden, there are other things that start gaining and catching our interest and our hearts start to drift away from God and start chasing after other things. And this was the problem with the children of Israel because they didn't maintain this fresh love for the Father, fresh love for Yahweh. 
They started chasing after foreign gods. God is calling us to attention and he's calling us to reevaluate our hearts and really introspect where are we? Are we still in the place that we think we are in our relationship with Christ? It's amazing when you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus is now, through John, obviously the revelator, Jesus is now addressing the churches. Think about the New Testament church. I mean, we always believe, I would like to be part of that church. I mean, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church and all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues. Peter preaches, 3,000 are added to the kingdom. And the Bible says, daily with those that were being saved. Peter's shadow was healing people. Paul was praying for handkerchiefs and aprons. People were getting healed. One guy fell asleep in Paul's sermon, fell down, dropped down dead. Paul comes and prays him and he's revived. What a church to be part of. Not many years after Jesus died now, and Apostle John is writing this here, and he's writing to the churches, the seven churches. And I'm sure these churches were waiting for the Lord to blow their trumpets and say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. You've been faithful little, I'll make you faithful over much. But what Jesus spoke over their lives, they did not expect. Just listen to some of these. The church of Ephesus, Jesus said, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. It's not many years after Jesus has died. It's not many years since Paul has preached to these guys now. And all of a sudden, Jesus has said, you've lost your first love. Church of Pergamum, you hold on to the teachings of Balaam. If you don't know who Balaam is, he was the prophet that King Barak hired to curse the children of Israel. And he tried four times to curse them, but every time he blessed them, and he turned around to Barak, he said, you cannot curse what God has blessed. But then he showed Barak a way to lift the protection of God from the children of Israel and entice them to sin. He said, you hold to the teachings of Balaam. Church of Tyre, 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 you tolerate that woman Jezebel who misled God's servants in sexual immorality. Jezebel. There's even a song about her. Jezebel. The church of Sardis. Wake up, sleepyhead. Your deeds and the things you've started for me, I find them unfinished. In other words, complete the work that I have called you to do. You've lost interest. You're chasing after and doing other things. You're not doing the work that I've called you to do. And I think the worst step in the face was the church of Laodicea. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. And so I'm going to spew you out. Listen to this. You do not realize that you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. Huh? But I'm your church. I'm your bride. How can you talk about me like this? But somehow the bride has become coma. Somehow the bride has chased after other foreign false gods. Some of them is money. Some of them is even our, our family sometimes can come in the way of God. Jesus said something interesting. He says, if you do not forget now how the, how the scripture goes. But he was talking about hating father, mother, etc., etc., he said, if you can't do that, you're not worthy of me. What does Jesus mean? It doesn't actually mean we must hate our family. He says, you must love me so much more 
That when you compare your love for me to in, your love for anything else, it should look like hate. Think about how much you love your children, how much you love your parents, how much you love your wife. You must love him far more exceedingly abundantly above that that it looks like hate. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. This is not the world that Jesus is talking to. He's addressing his church, the New Testament church, which means that if it could happen to them, who are so close to the Christ, chronologically, if it could happen to them, who was in the midst of the New Testament revival, then it can happen to us. Somehow, Jesus moved from being the centrifugal element of the church to slowly being put out of the church. In Revelation 3 verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone can listen and heed to my voice, opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. I know we use this for salvation. It's like, Jesus is knocking at your door. He wants to come in. No, no, no. Jesus was talking to his church. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who died for us so that we could live and become part of his family is now locked out of the very church that he died for. Why? The church had become engrossed in doing life so much so that they did not even realize they were doing life without the presence of God. Without the stamp of approval for God. And I wonder if this is the New Testament church. I wonder the church of 2022. Is Jesus knocking at the door? Can I come in? Can I take ownership of my church again? Romans 8.29 For God, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When we look at Adam, Adam was the first kind, first of his kind. But when Adam fell into sin, Adam passed down a defective image. Everything born of the original was defective like him. And actually, the wickedness that started within Adam, the Bible says in the last days, the enemy will spew out all kinds of evil. We have become, if it were possible, more wicked, more perverse from the time of Adam. It's, we, we, it's almost like we're devolving into evil and to wickedness. This is what we inherited from Adam. We inherited the same faulty, disobedient, disloyal, discontented, deceptive, covetous, angry, bitter design from the original. I know when you look at ourselves in the mirror, we think, no. I mean, I'm so cute after all. I mean, I don't even have to wear a mask now. They can see my cuteness uh, properly. Deceptive, covetous, angry, bitter, discontented. Malcolm shared uh, in the church, I think two or three weeks ago, and he's talking about a guy complaining about Adam, and this priest I forget now the story, Malcolm, sorry. But this priest, uh, uh, you know, he said, no, I'll do the work, because now he was complaining. Adam, you, you're the reason why you have to work so hard. And so the priest put a note there, sealed it, left it on the table, said, boy, I'm going to do all the work. You just sit and relax and have your coffee and just, just chill. And so a few weeks went past, and this note was worrying him, because the pastor said, don't open this note. 
And then a few weeks later, he just couldn't help himself. And he opened the note. I forget what the note said. <laughs> Must have been like, uh, you know, I don't want to hear of you uh, com complaining about Adam anymore. Because if you were there in the garden, you would have done the same thing. Yes. That curiosity. The forbidden is always lacquer. But Christ. Romans 8 verse 29 says, We can be born of a different original. We don't have to continue with the same modus operandi that we were born into. There is a remedy. His name is Jesus. Yes. Jesus is also first of his kind. Everything that is holy, joyful, lovely, genuine, honest, forgiving is in him. We don't have to make the excuse, I'm only human. You're not only human. The Bible says when we are in Christ, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have the ability of Jesus Christ to overcome sin the way he overcame it because we are partners. The Bible says we are bond servants. We are yoked together with Christ. And whenever someone, when oxen are, are do the work on their own, there's 1,000 kilojoules of work. When they are bonded together, they do 10,000 kilojoules of work. The, 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 the efforts are exponentially increased. When you're doing it on your own, trying to live holy on your own, trying to live righteous on your own, you'll never make it. But when you are bonded with the ox like Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible for you and I. So to be both ox, just if you understand the, 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 the example. Everything born of Jesus is to conform to the original and become a replica of who he is. If we are truly to conform to be like the original, then we cannot pick and choose what we want. Yeah. Just like we couldn't pick and choose from Adam what we, what we wanted, the good and not the bad. We cannot pick and choose what we want from Jesus Christ. We cannot choose or want his power without experiencing his cross. We cannot walk in his blessing without chasing also after his holiness. We cannot enjoy the kind of relationship we have with the Father without also pursuing the Father with the same passion and zeal that he pursued the Father with. How did Jesus show us to pursue the Father? John 4 verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish it. Has Jesus got anything against eating? No, I don't think so. But there is a problem. What he was saying is that the most insatiable appetites, one of them for man is eating. That's why no matter how much you fasted, you know, you can even become a professional faster. I've done a few 40 days. But whenever I have to fast again, that thing kills you. And I mean, I don't, I mean, sometimes I can go without eating, you know, especially if my wife's not there. I can just like forget to eat, you know. And then when she walks in the door, all of a sudden there's a hunger. <laughs> What Jesus was saying is, he says, I have nothing to do, uh, nothing against eating. He says, but your appetites in the natural must submit to the appetites of the will of the Father. Mm -hmm. 
you got to put your appetites aside and make your food the thing that drives you the thing that gives you sustenance to do the will of his father how do we serve god with passion when your food becomes to do the will of him who sent you and to complete that work this is how we serve god with passion John 5 verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus was showing obedience and complete surrender to the Father's will. Sounds very similar to Jeremiah 13. And he said, go, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And he, he just checks the the potter just sorting out the clay, making a, 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 tea cup, a teapot, you know, or making a, a bowl or whatever the potter was making. And he never once heard the clay said, Nia man, und kani, don't do that to me. I don't want to be the vessel. Make me this vessel. And sometimes we can say to God, no, Lord, I don't like what you've asked me to do. I don't want to do what you asked me to. I would rather like to do this. He says, can't I do with the people of Israel? Can't I do with them like the potter does with the clay? Can't the children of Israel submit to me like the clay submits to the wisdom and the understanding of the potter? He's got my best interest at heart. And so when he says no to that door, I don't kick the door down because the potter knows better. I want to be submitted like the potter. Jesus at one stage drives out um, some people out of the temple. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And when they, when they decide, I mean, he makes a shambok and he starts whipping the guys. And when, G, when the disciples looked at this picture in John 2 verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written about him, zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for your house consumes me. I'm passionate to build and rebuild the house or the tent of David. I'm passionate to rebuild a place where you, Holy Spirit, are wanting to dwell. When you look at certain people and you desire the kind of relationship they have with God and the kind of authority they operate with, we want that, but we don't know the cost they brought in there. We don't know what they had to lay down. Not my will, but your will be done. Every time God said they wanted to go here, God said, no, not now. It's amazing when you look at all these guys paul the apostle he says uh, we wanted to go to asia i mean it's good to preach a gospel don't you think he says we want to preach a gospel in asia but he says something significant he says but the spirit of jesus uh, prevented us uh, sorry what did you say but i'm going to preach a gospel and sometimes when we when we look at people we feel like they're stopping us from doing a good thing but my question is it's a good thing but is it a god thing and we've got to constantly evaluate is the spirit of jesus maybe preventing you from even doing the good thing and in that same moment 
He gets a vision from the Macedonian, a man from Macedonia saying, Come to us. So Jesus stops him from going to Asia, but he sends him to Macedonia. And the Bible says in, in the book of Corinth, Corinth was a, was a very wealthy church, very gifted church. But he said this year, he said to them, he said the church of Macedonia, they well up in their severe poverty, they well up in rich generosity. They gave themselves like we didn't expect, first to the Lord, then to us. He could use the church as a powerful testimony because he was obedient to be sent by the Father, sent by Jesus. Lord, what is my assignment? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to stay? Should I leave this workplace? Or do we make these decisions just on the go? Because what seems good for us? Consult God. Don't let him just rubber stamp every decision you make. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I'm getting ready for the stone, so I'll just... <laughs> I should have worn some bulletproof uh, vests. Uh, yeah. God does not play favorites. God rewards passion. Yeah. We cannot envy anyone's relationship with God. Say, God, why don't you... I was talking to a teacher, and she was saying, so how do you, um, you know, think about sermons and, like, you know, what you must preach about and all that. And then I said, oh, well, I just asked the Lord. And, you know, God guides us and tells us what's relevant to speak to the people about now. And she said, oh, man, I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say anything more, but I'm thinking, you don't have to wish. Not that I'm, I don't, not that I'm hearing from the Lord all the time, please. What should you eat? What should I eat, Lord? And, you know, or, or Lord, speak to my wife to make the favorite meal. I can just communicate that to her. But what I'm saying is, is that we don't need to wish to have a relationship like Paul or Peter or, or some contemporaries that you see around here, possibly. We don't need to wish to have that kind of relationship. We can have that relationship. God rewards passion. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, He rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does this earnestly word mean? In Jeremiah 29, verse, 11, verse 13, I'm going to read it in three different versions. The NIV says, You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is waiting for all your heart before he is found by you in that particular area. What is it that you're trusting God for? Are you doing it with all your heart? Is all your heart invested? He says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything God wants. In the Message Bible, he says, when you come looking for me, you will find me, yes, when you get serious about finding me. And you want it more than anything else. God won't compete. When you want him more than anything else and you become serious about it, you'll be found. He'll be found by you. In the Amplified, he says, you will seek me, inquire for, require me as your vital necessity. I'm in the right place now because we know about herbal life in this place, I'm sure. <laughs> And every time we take a shake, it's like my vital necessity, you know? Because it's helping me, you know, uh, uh, lose certain things, certain burdens, unburdens me, unburdens me. 
And God is saying, just like our life, even more than our life, you must require me as your vital necessity. Vital. And he goes on to say, um, and when you, you, you would find me, when you search for me with all your heart. Coming to prayer meetings is good. Going to church is good. Serving in various capacities is good. But make sure that you don't confuse that with searching after him. Because those churches that I mentioned, they started confusing the practice of Christianity or the, the, the daily routine. They confuse that with serving you, searching for him. Beyond prayer and coming to pray for Ramaphosa, Lord, and the farm, Lord, and expose what is happening in the farm and what other dollars are, are somewhere else, you know, between the cows and wherever he's hiding it, Lord in the midst of all and praying for against the corruption and and praying for salvation all of that you're going to be searching for him having a direct connection with him serving in the church but searching for him loving people but searching for him there's a beautiful song build me an altar in this place build me an altar in this place with your hands with your heart and i'll send the rain i'll send the fire the manner in which and the extent to which god responds to us is based on the quality of what we have placed on the altar. It's all about works. You know, this whole thing about works and grace and all of that. You think, oh, no, we're not, we're not into works anymore. It's grace, you know. This is not works. This is not what, what I'm talking about. It's not works. It's not doing things for God. God is asking, what have you placed on the altar? Does it match what you're expecting from me? Abraham placed his entire heart on the altar when he put Isaac there. He put everything on the line. This is what God said. His response was, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And this is the blessing. Verse 16 of 22. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, you have not withheld your son. He says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. If God was into just blessing and blessing and blessing, then he wouldn't need Isaac on the altar. But he waited for Isaac to be on the altar before he pronounces a blessing of multiplication that would come from Abraham's line. God was looking for the quality. He could have put a servant, one of his servant sons on the altar, wouldn't mean anything to God. Because it doesn't mean anything to Abraham. God is looking for what means so much to you. Are you willing to put that down? Because keeping that that God has asked you to lay down is making that an idol. What's the question? The question is, is what you're expecting from God? I've already asked that question. <laughs> Sometimes talking about the altar, we pick and choose, you know, what's easy, you know, water uh, goes down the, the least part of resistance. So in our service with God, it's just like, time, it's easy for me to keep my time. There's God. But you're not prepared to put your finance on the altar. No, insurance and and your, your policy and 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 what if the children get sick 
time. You can have all my time, Lord. Not my money. Sons, we, we're willing to put our money there. Ah, man, Lord, I'll give you my money. Give you even 20%, Lord. Even more than that, Lord. But sometimes our character is not on the altar. We're not, uh, we're not prepared to put our, make our value systems congruent to that which the word is prescribing. Sometimes our love for God is on the altar. We love God. I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you with everything in me. But we're not prepared to forgive those who have hurt us. Come on. We love him. And God says, how can, John says, how can you love him who you cannot see and hate your brother who you can see? We have compartmentalized our lives and God is saying, I want your gifts and abilities. I want your finances. I want your hurts and your pain. I want your social public lives. I want your private lives. I want your time. In other words, I want your very lives, every part of you to be on the altar. There is nothing that will be withheld from a life that is completely surrendered to God and that is living for God. God will withhold nothing. We mustn't fall into the trap of, of giving God, sorry, giving your best to everything that is secular. Giving your best to your education, that fourth degree that you're doing. That lovely job that you How are we going to pay the bills, you know? To your friends, to your ambition. And then whatever's left over, we say, God, there you go. You can take all my fatigue and my tiredness and my irritation. Who wants to be married to someone like this? You give all your smiles out there and you come home with mums. <laughs> You're not a pleasant person at home. Who wants to be married to someone like that? We give our best out there and when we come to God, we come with the scraps. We come with all the problems and all the woes and the... Oh, God deserves our best. And it's amazing as you're giving your best, how he energizes you to fully function at work and fully function in your studies and be the best mom and dad because he's, you're not working with your energy. The Bible says, Paul says, he says, to this end I labor with his energy. That's how powerfully works in me. I'm the best at what I do everywhere I do it because I'm working with his energy, not my own energy. I'm giving God my best. There are many Gentiles in Peter's time. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter was sent to a guy by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. And God had showed him a big vision because this guy was a hard, he was a rock, obviously. Peter, you know, rock, hard. It takes time for things to seep in. And God has given him a vision three times. And then he said, Peter, the people that are coming here, don't object, go with them. And all of a sudden, while Peter's still preaching, the Bible says on Cornelius and all his relatives and neighbors, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are speaking in tongues and praising the Lord. Why? Cornelius placed his whole life on the altar. Not just his service or his money, but everything about him was devoted to God. It was devotion. That God was responding to. It was devotion that God caused Peter to pass all the Gentiles' houses and come specifically to Cornelius' house 
Because the angel said, Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts have come up to the altar. God recognizes faithfulness. And he recognizes diligence. And he recognizes someone that's hungry for him. And so God's going to respond in kind to you, Cornelius. It's time for us to regain our passion for God. Our five-year-old son, our youngest, we don't have a foundation. We just, we just like an NPO. We like a, we, we young when it comes to the, the children. But my five-year-old, he thinks his dad is a superhero. I'm his dad, by the way. No, no, I'm just saying, because I think, I'm talking about my stepson, so I'm his father. So I'm not talking about someone else. He thinks his dad is a superhero. He thinks dad is so strong. I guess I don't show him the, the pictures of Bevan lifting up those weights because then he's like, Daddy, he can't contribute to that. So he'll say, No, son. Uh, these, are, uh, these, are not for, these are earthly things, son. I'm just, I just seek the Lord, son. I'm in heaven, son. Spirits told me to lift weights. <laughs> There's nothing that I can't do for, for my son. And his mother kind of fans it to flame, you know, oh, steady, oh, steady. I'm thinking, my goodness, now, YouTube, where are you now? I need to look for a way. When our children are that young, it's amazing how we are these superheroes. We can do anything. When they become teenagers, then all of a sudden they see the faults in the cracks. And like, mm, I'm not too sure anymore. Dad and mom is a bit outdated. They don't understand me. When they become young adults now and they're marrying and they're getting children, now we become, our superhero status is redeemed now. Because dad and mom is like, yo, you knew what you were talking about, yeah? <laughs> Likewise, when we first received the Lord, remember that passion? You wanted to do anything that, if God told you to go to China, you go. You laid on everything for God. There was a childlike faith that God could do the impossible. But the more we grow up in our faith, in inverted commas. The more socialized we become, we start thinking more realistically and rationally. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. As if God or this walk of faith is supposed to make any sense. Doesn't make sense to give finances for God to bless us. Not that I'm saying we give to get, but you understand the principle. Giving means I'm getting poorer. How can God reap? fulfill all my needs. No, it's with this that God's going to meet my needs. We become rational, we become, and the passion begins to seep out because we don't want to seem too fanatical. We, were, we went on a church picnic and we were so amazed. This guy, this Muslim guy, he was, it was obviously time for prayer. The guys, the, the, the Muslims pray seven times a day. It was time for prayer. He put his mat out there there was some water, uh, like water thing action that happened in there. And he was, near, you know, how the Muslims pray, and I think the Jews are similar. And he goes down and he prays and he comes up and he... To heck with everybody else. Yeah. I don't care if you think I'm too fanatical. Sure. This is my God and I, this is what, how. Now, I'm not saying you must go on the street corner and do crazy things. I'm not saying that. And if you want to do it, go do it. But I'm saying... They'd be too concerned about what people think about us. And it takes away the passion. Imagine walking with your wife. 
you're too concerned about darling walk a little bit you know that side darling <laughs> darling will think uh, there's some other cherries that uh, that you don't want to let him know that you married and all the wedding ring comes off I lived in a community where you had to carry your Bible because coming home from youth there's gangsters there so you and I stayed in what was called a dog pound you know at the bottom half of East Rochelle stayed in the buying houses, you know, where there's a lot of lights. Us, the street lights didn't always work. <laughs> so you walk into the Bible, coming back from youth, and you start singing loud. <laughs> Sing loud so that the people can know you're a brother, you know. <laughs> so they can overlook you, don't think, mistake you for someone else, and you get stabbed. But what if there's no danger? What if the danger is carrying a Bible? What if the danger is being recognized as a believer? Do we follow up our Christianity during the week and put it in our back pockets? God wants us to be to be, begin to believe again in the supernatural power. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, there's obviously a period where there was some starvation of the supernatural, and he says these words, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds that you've done yesterday, but Lord, in our day, renewed in our day, in our time, make them known in wrath, remember mercy. God, I thank you for what you've done in Moses and all of these powerful guys' lives, but Lord, I want to see you do it in 2022. You're the same God of the supernatural today. There's a scripture in Acts 4. Peter was coming. There's a gate called Beautiful. And there was a beggar that was put there every day. And one day Peter looked at him. He said, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And his ankles are str uh, um, strengthened. And he, he's healed. This man's jumping around, praising God. So, so on the back of that, I want to talk about the story. There's a conversation between the Pope and St. Thomas acquaintance, Pope observed, you see, the church is no longer in that age where she can say, silver and gold have I none. I mean, think about it now. Yeah. Yeah. We saw we up in life, you know. <laughs> Even if the rand is down, we up in life because we got silver and gold. And the, the guy, the guy he says, true Holy Father, neither can she say any longer, to the lame, rise up and walk. So the church has become very wealthy, but lost its spiritual inheritance. Lost its spiritual power. Doesn't believe that miracles are for today. Can you believe that there's people in the church that don't believe miracles are for today? A time with the apostles. What a sad life to live. That we can pray for cancer today and people can get healed. Passion attracts God's presence and activates His power within us. There, there's lots, there's going to be a lot of naysayers around us, and some of them are even born again. And as we listen to their voice, we can become discouraged, and we become, we can become reticent to really obey what God is asking us to do. We need to rely with all our hearts on what God has said. Treasure that in our hearts and begin to run with it. Gideon, when he started. Fighting against the Midianites, he didn't have the approval of everybody. The whole of Israel wasn't behind Gideon. If you're going to wait for the approval of everybody around the coffee table, everyone in your family, every one of your friends on your WhatsApp statuses, every one of Facebook friends, you know, those a thousand somewhat Facebook friends that we have, that walk with you through thick and thin, you know, you're going to get nowhere. It was only when the fight was started 
and when people saw that Gideon, God was with him, God was giving Gideon victory, that they joined in. Some people will only come after you've obeyed God. And we, when they see the success of what your obedience is yielding. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We need hunger and we need thirst. To develop this hunger, we need to first empty ourselves of those things that are good but are sapping our energy from doing the things that are best. Preventing us from being effective in Christ. Stagnating our walk with God. Proverbs 7, 27 says this here, verse 7, One who is full, one who is full, loads honey. I mean, honey is so nice. But when you're full, even the things that are nice, you don't have an appetite for. But to the hungry, even what is bitter, tastes sweet. The first part speaks volumes. We are sometimes so full of many other things that there's no more hunger for God's presence. There's no space in our life for the honey of the word. No space in our life for the honey of the Holy Spirit. It is amazing that as we hone our hunger and our thirst to yearn for God, that He begins to respond and He begins to fill us with, with His presence and we are transformed. We are changed into different men and women. There's a strength and a resilience within us that was not there before. There's a boldness and a courage within us that was not there before. There's a steadfastness within us that was not there before. The last scripture I want to read, uh, this is what hunger sounds like. Isaiah 61 verse 1, 64 verse 1. This is what Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. Come down and make your name known. That we can go into our closets again and begin to say, God, that you would tear open the heavens and that you would come down. God, like Moses, show me your glory. I'm tired of living this plastic Christianity. I want to get into the holy of holies where the presence of God is. Bring me to that place. Are we hungry like that? Can we be hungry like that again? Where Brian Bartimaeus says, Lord, the son of David, have mercy on us. And people said, shut up around him. And he shouted all the louder, Lord, the son of David, have mercy on us. You don't know what I need from God. I need to get to God. And nothing is going to prevent me from getting to God. I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. Can we bow our heads? And this is my prayer, Lord, switch on our hunger. Our hunger makes us determined. Our hunger makes us desperate. Without hunger, we won't search for Him. Without hunger, we won't put our all on the altar for Him. Without hunger, we will not be passionate for Him. Lord, switch on our hunger. If that's you, and if you feel like your hunger has been Filled with other things. And there's no appetite. And the presence, the, the passion seems to be a little bit diffused. Maybe there's some passion. But it's like, you know that there's certain things holding you back. They don't want you to, to stand where you are. I don't know. Can we, can we invite people to the front to pray? For prayer? If you're saying, God, switch on my hunger. Switch on my, this passion. 
Just like when I was a newborn babe in Ewan, just pursuing God with that fire and that zeal. 